Hey there, I'm Joey Dean, lead pastor of South Lakes Church in Oklahoma City. At South Lakes Church, we exist to be radically devoted to God, relentlessly committed to true community, and remarkably passionate for the lost. We hope your faith is strengthened and you grow closer to Jesus as you listen this morning. Now let's jump into this week's message. Well, good morning, church. Good to see everyone this morning. I got pretty worked up in the first service, so I will try to contain myself. Uh, this service, uh, welcome to online. I'm glad you're here. Um, hey, um, God, hey, spring weather outside. It's be- our fall weather, I guess. It's beautiful outside. Um, I, the joke is that you go in during first service and it's beautiful outside, and by the time first service is over with, it's like ugly Oklahoma again. But it's actually really nice. And so I'm glad you're here this morning. Why don't we gra- go ahead and grab a Bible, please? A Bible and turn to the second book of the Bible, Exodus. Exodus chapter 3, this this morning. If you don't have a Bible, grab one in the seat in front of you. We're going to be doing a lot of reading today. And so if you don't have a Bible in front of you, you're just going to be looking aimlessly off into the sky because it won't be up on the screen. All right. So grab a Bible or go to version. Everything that you got is right there. And so, um, and we're going to begin a new series today. But before we do, why don't we pray? And, um, and get ourselves in the right headspace, okay? So would you bow your heads and close your eyes, even at home, if you would do this for me? I would ask you to pray these two prayers. Number one, would you say, God, help me to be present in this moment? And then would you pray, God, help me, or will you speak to me personally this morning? And Father, we just humbly submit ourselves to the throne room of grace this morning. And Father, we just ask that as your people gather together, God, there is a promise that you are here. And so Father, we just, we cash in that promise, God, knowing that it's, it's true. And so whether we're watching online or we're here in person, Father, I pray that you would move in this service just as well as, well as you moved in the first service. And Father, we pray that you would receive glory in all things as we begin to learn more about the character of who you are as God. And we pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. So over the next 11 weeks, here's what we're going to do. We're going to be looking at 11 different names for God all throughout the Old Testament. And the reason we're doing this is not so that you can learn Hebrew or not so that you can know all the names of God. It's because when you learn different names that God either gives himself or other people um, ascribe to him, it describes the character of God. And so we're really doing a character study of God by looking at the different names of God. You go, well, how many names of God could there actually be in the Bible? And that's really a point of contention. Because if you were to Google today names of God in the Bible, you're going to find anywhere from seven to over a hundred names that are ascribed to God in the Bible. And so to make it simple, we're just going to pick 11 of some of the most least controversial ones. And I want to help you to go even deeper in your study. And so every Sunday, both online and here in person, we are releasing a weekly Bible study. So this is kind of what it looks like. There's copies out there um, in the handouts. And so basically, 
If you, we're reintroducing the here method. If you don't know what the here method is, that little ditty right there kind of explains it to you. And every week, every day, Monday through Friday, just take the passage of scripture and the word Yahweh, which is what we're going to look at today, is found in that text. And it'll just teach you more about the character of God. And then we're encouraging our community groups to have discussion over this uh, this text is what we're doing. And so we just want you to get fully enveloped into the names of God. And, and this is a great way to do it. It's not just to hear a guy talk for, you know, 40 minutes, but to dive into God's word on your own. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to look at a name that God calls himself. And in order to set the stage, let me talk to you about uh, little pyromaniac Joey, all right? So uh, when I was in elementary school, and I think this may be a boy thing, I have all girls in my household, so I will never be able to put this theory to test. Thank the good Lord, all right? But I love fire. I love setting things on fire. Colin is a firefighter over there. He's going to hate this story, so please plug your ears. But I love to watch things burn. And so when fourth or fifth grade, I decided to play hooky one day from school. And so I stayed home, and I decided to conduct an experiment with fire in my parents' living room. And I wanted to know this. How fast does a paper towel burn? So why I didn't do it in the bathroom where water source was or the kitchen, I don't know. I was fourth or fifth grade. Fourth and fifth graders, no offense, they're not very smart, right? And so I lit a fire with a paper towel in the middle of my parents' living room. Did you know that paper towels burn really fast? And so as, it, as I was watching it, I was like, this is so pretty. And then I was like, oh, snap, this is getting close to my hand. So I began to take off to the kitchen. Now, the kitchen was not like from here to there. There was a jot and you had to, anyway, it was, it, was a, it was a walk to get there. So I started going, but I couldn't run because I noticed that there were embers that were starting to float off of it. So I was walking very quickly. So at this time where my parents, uh, where we lived, it was all hardwood floors, except for we put area, my parents put area rugs in different places throughout the house. You would just imagine as I'm walking, it got to my hand and I dropped it right where an area rug was. Did you know that fire burns really fast on area rugs too? So what I did as a smart fourth or fifth grader, I ran to the kitchen and I got the largest cup that I could find, or at least the first cup that I saw, so I grabbed a Dixie cup. Did you know it takes five little cups of Dixie cups to put out a fire in a, uh, on an area rug? And so by the time we got done, there was a burn about the size of this tabletop in the middle of my parents' area rug. So I did what any fourth or fifth grader would do. I moved a chair on top of it, and I was not a believer at this time, nor did I really believe in prayer, but I prayed, God, if you are truly there, please never let my parents move this chair ever. And it worked for six months. And then they moved the chair to vacuum. And then I felt the full fury of my dad's wrath. And uh, that was a long, long period of my life. But here's the reason I share this story. Is that, you know, fire is one of the few things in the universe that is both simultaneously inviting, but also terrifying. There is something about, on a cold night, cuddling up to the warmth of a fire outside but if you fall in that fire, you will be badly burned and you will have to be rushed off to have things fixed, right? Or there's something cool when you light a match and you get ready to light the candle and it's just like the flicker of it, but then that match burns and it, as soon as it gets close and you feel it, you want to drop the match. There is something that is inviting but also terrifying about a fire. 
So it should not surprise us that in the story of Exodus, and if you don't know the story of Exodus, let me give you a quick rundown. It is the story of God's rescue of two to three million Jews, his people, out of slavery in Egypt after they had been enslaved for 400 years. And he's going to use a guy by the name of Moses to do it. And so it shouldn't surprise us that when God introduces himself to Moses, he does so in a flame. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. And we're going to look in Exodus chapter 3, and we're actually going to read the entire chapter. Um, and then we're going to go back and we're going to kind of dissect it. So here we go. Exodus chapter 3. We're going to begin reading in verse 1. It says, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And so Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called him out of the bush, called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. And he said, do not come near, but take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. Remember, they have been enslaved for 400 years. And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and the Jebusites." And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, but I will be with you, and this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain." Well, then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel, <clears throat> excuse me, and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, well, what's his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go, gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob has appeared to me saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt, and I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice, and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to them, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. And after that, he will let you go. 
And I will give you, I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty, but each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And you shall put them on your sons and on your daughters. So you shall plunder the Egyptians. And so what we see here in Exodus chapter 3 is that God is helping us to understand rightly the nature of who he is. And if you're taking notes this morning, I really hope you are, we're really going to talk about first off, who, who is God? And we see here in Exodus 3 that there are two natures of God that are equally who he is. The first one is this, he is a transcendent God or he is a God who is above us. In other words, he is bigger than us and he's above us in every way that you can imagine. But on the opposite side of the coin, not only is he transcendent, but he's also imminent. Or in other words, he is God who is among us. He is with us now. Now, what I just shared with you is a very distinctly Christian way to view God. No other religion in the world sees God as both transcendent and imminent. That is just mind-boggling for other religions to wrap their minds around. But the thing that we have to understand from from a Christian point of view is that if God is among us, then we also have to recognize that he is still higher above us. And so one thing about being transcendent that we have to understand this morning is that because God is so much greater than us, we see in this text that what God is doing is he's self-defining himself. In other words, he's laying out, this is who I am. You cannot argue me, argue with me on this. Now, this is important, especially in 2021, because we live in a day and an age where we believe that it is our right as human beings to define who God is. We believe it's our right to do that, and we want to make God in our own image. You have done it, and I have done it. Don't believe me? If you've uttered this phrase, well, you know what? I don't think that God would do that. You have just defined God. Or if you've ever heard someone say, well, surely if there was a God, he wouldn't. Wouldn't he? Who's to say? See, when we begin to try to make God in our image, we make God into a concept and not a reality. And the difference between a concept and reality is this, a concept is something that we can bend into our own image. The problem is that God is not a concept. God is self-defined. He has told us who he is. And it's insane for us to believe that we can define who God is. It would be like this. If I went up to someone and said, hey, what is your favorite bird in the world? And they go, oh, that one's easy, a teacup pig. And I'd be like, I'm sorry, you have totally missed the question. I didn't ask, what do large birds like to eat? I've asked you, what is your favorite bird? And they go, it's a teacup pig. Now, let me just tell you something. At that point of the conversation, you need to back away very slowly. Do not turn your back to them. Keep eye contact, get in your car and go because that person is crazy. Because a teacup pig in no way could ever be a bird. It's not how it works. But yet this is exactly what it's like when we try to define God in our own image. We don't get to define God because God has already defined himself. And in the text, God introduces himself with his personal name. Look in verse 14. 
It says, God says to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. And so God self-defines himself with this statement, I am who I am. Now this statement blows up every category that we have as humans. Because typically when you hear the phrase, I am, it is always followed up by something. I am Joey. I am a pastor. I am a husband. I am a father. I am a son. I am whatever it is. But it's I am. And then you fill in what, what, what you are. You have to fill in the blank. But God says, guess what? I am who I am. What God has given us here is a circular argument. And he's making a point while he's doing this. He's saying, listen, I am, but you know who I am? I am who I am. I think a really good way to think of this, you could also translate this like this in the Hebrew. You could translate it as, I be who I be. Now, I realize that all the English teachers cringe at that statement, but that's what God is saying. I be who I be. Your Bibles, we translate this as Yahweh or Jehovah. Now, in your Bibles, you won't see the word Yahweh or Jehovah. In fact, what you'll see is you'll see the Lord in all caps. So that's God's personal name. It's used over 6,800 times in the English uh, translation of the Bible. 6,800 times you will see the Lord sprinkled all throughout your Bible. And it's the personal name of God. So we have a lot of babies in this church, all right? And um, I, one thing I know, after my wife has had four babies, one thing that is always the point of contention is the name of a baby, right? And so when you find out you're pregnant, the first thing you want, well, one of the first things you want to do is, well, I guess we got to start the process of figuring out a name. And so you buy a baby book or you go online and you start looking up, well, what do, what do these names mean? Because no one wants to name their baby a name, which if you were to, you know, translate it out means like dum-dum. Like no one wants to name their kid that, like, we want to name our kids something that has, like, deep meaning, like heavenly warrior princess, right? Or gift from God on high, or babbling brook by the river that the, that the does drink off of. You know, we want our, our kid's name to mean something. And so, we, 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 and so, when you look up God's name in a baby book, and you look up Yahweh, or you look up Jehovah, it would literally mean, I am who I am, or I be who I be. And, what, and everyone wants to know, well, what's, what does that mean? Like, what does your baby's name mean? Well, let me tell you what God's name means. Because God is telling us four big things about himself because he's self-defining himself here. He's telling us, I have been who I've always been. In other words, I've never changed. He's saying, number two, I am consistent if I act one way today, I'll act the same way tomorrow. Three, I am not shaped by others. Doesn't matter what your personal opinion is of me. I am who I am. And last but not least, he's saying, I will be who I will be. In other words, we cannot change God's mind and change his characteristics of who he is. It's a circular argument. And it's pointing to the grandeur and the transcendence of who God is. 
But because God is so far above us, because he is transcendent, we can believe something to be true about God. And that's this, when God makes a statement or a promise, we know that that promise or that statement is always true. And the reason is because of this, is because he's capable of keeping all of his promises in a way that we're not capable of doing. I want you to look at verse 16. It says, go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob has appeared to me saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites into a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. And now, please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king, listen to that, I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. And after that, he will let you go. And then just just for funsies, he goes, and this is what it's going to look like when you leave. And I will give this people favor in your sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you're not going to go empty-handed, but each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing, and you shall put them on your sons and on your daughters, and you shall plunder the Egyptians. Like, God is clearly, very precisely laying out exactly what's going to happen from the moment when Moses walks down from the mountain to walking into Pharaoh's chambers He's saying, this is what's going down. There is about to be a war that breaks out between two I am's. I am Pharaoh, who was a God in his own mind, who the Egyptians viewed as a God, versus I am who I am. But God is very specific. He goes, this is exactly how it's going to lay down. But because God is transcendent, because he's above us, because he's self-defining, we know that the promises of God can be trusted as true. Why? Because I am who I am. That's just who I am. And this is hard for us to wrap our minds around. So let me see if I can explain it this way. Um, When Christy asked me, when will you be home? It is really hard for me to give her a specific time, especially when I'm in a meeting. I have lots of meetings. I meet with lots of people. All right, and they and sometimes they're just random, and sometimes they're planned out for like weeks in advance. So when Christy will call me and say, "Hey, what time do you think you're going to be home tonight?" Instead of saying, "Hey, I'm going to be home straight up at six, I will say, "Well, my last meeting is at four thirty." Now, here's the problem: is that if I tell Christy this should probably be on a forty-five minute meeting, so I'll probably be home by five thirty. Christy knows right off the bat he ain't going to be home till six. Why? Because I cannot control all the different variables that are going to come up in that meeting. So let's say that someone comes up to me and they are sharing that their marriage is in shambles and the, and the husband is broken and he is, he is just confessing to me and he is just letting me know everything that's going on and he's like, my marriage is falling apart. I can't look at my clock at 5.15 and go, hey bro, I'm sorry and I know your marriage is falling apart but if I don't get home to my girl, my marriage is going to fall apart, all right? Like I can't do that. Why? Because it doesn't work that way. Because I'm there in that moment. And many times I don't know what we're talking about. There are so many variables, like I said, that I can't control. But here's the thing about God. 
God never ever uses the phrase, I may or if. He never says, well, I may do this if, if it's sunny today, or if this meeting goes how I think it's going to go. He doesn't do that because he's outside of time, and so he knows. So the reason that Moses can have confidence in the exactness of what God has just told him is because God is outside of time. And so Moses can be confident that, all right, if Pharaoh's going to say no, then he's going to say no. But if God says he's going to literally bring down the wrath of heaven onto the Egyptians, and I trust that. And if he says we're going to plunder the people that have held us captive for 400 years, then I, I believe that. And we can have confidence and those promises, just as we today in 2021 can have confidence in the promises of God, because God's not a guess God. He does not have to guess and hope that something goes down the way that he hopes. He knows. Why? Because God is transcendent, because God is above us, but yet God is also imminent. Look in verse 7. It says, And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people, <clears throat> who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up to a land, to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and the Jebusites. And so, yes, God is transcendent and he is so far greater than us, but yet remember, he has also come down among his people and he is with them. And because of that, he knows their hurts and he hears their cries. Now, listen to me, a believer or non-believer alike, it doesn't matter. Listen, we have got to wrap our minds around both sides of God, the transcendent side and the imminent side. And here's the reason. If you have one view of God without the other, then you will have a laundry list of issues that you're going to run into. For example, if you believe that God is simply above you, he is, he is not among you, but he is above you, he is just watching, and he's just kind of, he started the ball down, down the mountain, the snowball down the mountain, and he's just watching and going, I wonder how that's going to go. And you don't think that he has any personal connection with you. Then what in the world does it matter to be religious in any way? Because he doesn't see you, and he doesn't know you, and he hasn't come down for you, and he doesn't even care about you. Like, what's the point? But on the opposite side of things, if God is just among you, like if he's not actually higher than you, there's no transcendence, he's like, I am a friend of God, like the song, right? And that's how you view God. Then you're going to start running into issues like this. You're going to be like the guy that walks around with the t-shirt that says, Jesus is my homeboy. And you're going to have no holy fear for God. Because westernized Christianity has taught us that God is full of mercy and grace and love and he wants to be your friend and all those things are true, but God is also wrathful and he's also holy and he's also perfect and he demands allegiance. But if you go around going, well, Jesus is my homeboy, then you'll never have a fear for God and there'll be no desire to strive for holiness. There'll be no desire to rest into his grace when, whenever your life is falling apart because he's, just your, he's your boy. He's your boy and that's how you treat him. And that's why you gotta wrap your minds around God's transcendence and his imminence because that's what's gonna help you navigate life. Look at verse 11. It says, Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? 
And God said, but I will be with you and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. So Moses asked this question that quite honestly, all of creation have always, we've always asked ourselves this question and many times people just can't seem to get the answer and it's literally crushing humanity. And here's the question that Moses asked, who am I? He runs into this problem that all humanity has for all generations, it's an identity crisis. So God has just self-identified as a transcendent God who is imminent, but who am I? Who am I? And we love identities, right? We want to be seen a special way. And so we love to create our own identities. And we live in a society where if we don't like who we are, guess what? We can just pick up and move on and we can work to create a brand new identity and a brand new community. Or the more dangerous option You don't like who you are. You don't like how you're viewed. So you come home, you plug into the internet, you create an avatar, the perfect version of who you are, and you hide behind your avatar like a child. And that's who you want to be. And you live these dual lives and we create identities. The problem is this. When we try to create our own identities, listen to me, you always end up enslaving yourselves to the identity that you try to create for yourself. Let me say that again. When you try to create your own identity, you will always, 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 always end up enslaving yourselves to whatever identity it is that you're trying to create for yourself. And by the way, there's a laundry list of faux identities that are out there. So I've lived in Southwest Oklahoma City pretty much my entire life. Probably about less, uh, let's see, about 10 years of my life, all right? I haven't lived in Southwest Oklahoma City, but for 30 years of my life, I have basically lived in about a five-mile radius of, of the same area. Like my school, the elementary school that my oldest daughter goes to, my baby brother went to back in the 90s. Like that's just, it's what I know. I know Southwest Oklahoma City. And so being entrenched in Southwest Oklahoma City for most of my life, I, I love to watch people and I love to listen to people. And I know, I know the people of Southwest Oklahoma City really well. I know the people of South Lakes Church really well. I believe that. And I know that there are faux identities that are very prevalent in Southwest Oklahoma City that are tearing people up and it is crushing them. I want to give you two that I think that a lot of people in Southwest Oklahoma City, and I would say people at South Lakes Church, struggle with. Two faux identities that are crushing you. The first one is this. I am in control. Or you may think of it like this, I've got this. Like I'm in control and I've got this. The problem is that life continually reminds us that we actually are not in control. We're not. I've shared, if, we haven't, if we've learned anything out of the last 18 months with a little bug, right, is that we are not in control. We can be put down like that. And the more that life shows us that we're not in control, you know what we do as people? We try harder to try to control it. We bury our feet in and we go, I am not going to be moved. And so instead of surrendering and confessing that you know what? 
Someone else is going to have to take over because I can't do this. We try harder. So the harder that you try to gravitate towards this identity of I am in control, it's going to lead to one of two outcomes. It's going to lead to anxiousness or it's going to lead to angriness. Those are your only two options when your identity is found in I am in control. And this is what I mean. When you know that you aren't in control, like really in control, man, you get mad. Like you go to the doctor for a routine checkup and the doctor comes back and gives you a diagnosis that you weren't expecting. And you, you get mad. You go, man, I eat well. I exercise. I do this. What are you talking about? Or you put in all the hours at work. You are the model citizen at work. And you go into work on a Friday and the boss says, hey, Joey, can I see you in the office? And, and you get that pink slip. And you go, what are you doing? I'm here early and I stay late. You're not in control. And you get angry about it. And you get bitter. Or you go to the opposite side. You get really nervous. And you stay up at night. And you're just anxious. And you're like, I, I don't know what I don't know what to do. And you don't know who to trust. And you don't sleep well and you don't eat well. Because you're trying to get into control of something and you just can't catch up. I think a second identity that people struggle with in Southwest Oklahoma City and at South Lakes Church is this. I am what I do or I am what I own. I am what I do or I am what I own. And so you find your self-worth in the things that you own individually or what you do. The thing is this, is that when you are trying to find your identity in one of these two things, there's one of three outcomes. You either be depressed, you either be in debt, and realistically, you're probably both. You're probably both. Let me explain. If you are what you do, then let's say that your identity is that you're a hard worker at, at your work and you're known as the guy that's trustworthy. What happens when you retire? They throw you a party, you get cake, you get that green punch that has the floaties in it. I don't know what that stuff is, right? But the, I think it's ice cream. That's, that's what they say at least, right? And then what happens six months later? Your work forgets about you. They don't, they don't know, they don't care because you're gone. But your identity was found in being Joey the hard worker. What do you do then? What if, about a, if your identity is found in being a parent? Like, not just any parent. Like, I want to be the parent. I want to be at all my kids' games, and I want to coach, and I want to I I help build the, the, the a volcano that blows up bigger than all the other kids' volcanoes, and I want to be the, the, the house where all the kids want to come to. And I, that, there's nothing wrong with any of that. But what if that's your only identity? What happens when your kids grow up and move out? They don't visit as much. They don't call as much. I haven't looked at the stats in a while, but when I was in student ministry, the top three reasons for divorce was this. First was finances. Two was infidelity. And three was empty nest syndrome. Meaning that two parents had invested so much time into how to raise their kids that when the kids left, they didn't know how to be together. So you put your identity in being a parent and the time will come. Not, it's not that you don't cease to be a parent. You just cease to be as necessary because they're trying to figure out on their own. What happens in that moment when your kids move out? What about if you are what you own? 
I mean, surely we all recognize at this point that we're never gonna arrive at a place of happiness. We buy a 2021 model of a car and 2022 is gonna come out and someone's gonna buy that. We buy a $300,000 house and someone's gonna buy a $350,000 house. We buy three acres of land and someone's gonna buy six acres. We get a job promotion and someone's gonna get a better one, right? We recognize we're never gonna arrive at a place of happiness and so we're just gonna be depressed and go, man, why can't I be happy? Or we're gonna be working to try to keep up with the Joneses and you're gonna have a credit card debt that's longer than a Walgreens receipt. You know what I'm saying? Or you're gonna have both because you're gonna be so depressed because you're so in debt. And so Moses asked the question, all right, this is who you are, but who am I? And this is what God says. He goes, listen, I will be with you. In other words, you know, we can base our entire sense of self on God. And we can find our utmost confidence in him. Why? Because he knows us. Because he's with us. But yet he's also so far above us that we can lean into him and know, you know what? He's got this. So this is not a unique example. I got this out of a commentary, but I thought this is a great way to explain this concept. So let's say that I take a trip over to London and I want to go visit Buckingham Palace. So I walk up to the gate, knock on the gate. Guard comes up in his cool little hat and says, yes, sir, what can I do for you? And I go, yeah, I'm Joey Dean, pastor, South Lakes Church, Southwest Oklahoma City. I'd like a tour of Buckingham Palace. I'd like to see all the rooms. I want to see the secret passages. And would you call the queen mom? I, was, I would really like some tea and crumpets with her. And the guy with the cool hat is going to say, you're who? Yeah, you better turn around and get, get your bony butt out of here because you're going to end up in prison. All right, that's fair enough. Who am I? Do you know who else that used to be true for? Kate Middleton. There was a point when Kate Middleton, if she would have knocked on the palace skates and said, hey, I'm Kate Middleton. I'd like to tour the castle. I'd like to see, I mean, the, the palace. I'd like to see all the secret rooms. Um, maybe try on the, the, the jewels. Was that cool? And I'd love to have tea um, and crumpets with the queen. I'm like, get out of here, little girl. But then something happened in Kate Middleton's life. She married into the family. And so I looked it up. This is what Kate Middleton's title is now. Her Royal Highness, the Duchess of Cambridge. So now Kate Middleton knocks on the palace gates. Doors open up. Say, hey, I'm Kate Middleton. I'd like to tour the castle, or the palace. I'd like to see all the secret passages away. I'd like to try on the jewels. And I would also like to have tea and crumpets with the queen mom. Who do you think you are, little girl? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm Kate Middleton, and I'm married to him. I'm, I'm with him. Because see, being connected to him now grants her full access to royalty, to power, and to wealth that she did not have before. So scripture says very clearly that when we go from death to life, and death to life is simply this, is that you, you understand, man, I am a sinner I do not deserve forgiveness, but Jesus, you died on the cross for me. Would you forgive me of my sins? Would you come live inside of me? The Bible says that we become the bride of Christ. You become the bride of Christ. And now we can say, you know what? I'm with him. 
I'm with him. And we now have full access. You go full access to royalty and power and wealth. Now something so much better. You have full access to a peace which surpasses all understanding. When a loved one dies suddenly. You have full access to a joy which can traverse any rocky terrain that you're trying to climb. You have one, uh, you have uh, 24-7, 365 access to the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you. Oh, and you have the King of Kings who created you in your mother's womb who says he's with me too. You have full access. And Romans puts it like this, nothing can separate us from the love of God. And so when you realize I'm not in control, that's okay. You know why? Because I'm with him. I'm not defined by what I do or what I own, and that's okay. You know why? Because I'm with him. Anything that I'm leaning into, listen, can literally be taken away in an instant. If the Lord has taught me anything in nearly my 40 years, is that I literally cannot hang on to anything tight enough and be guaranteed that it'll keep me. Whether it's a child that passes away in my wife's womb or my dad taken from me suddenly or my uncle calling who went in just six months ago for a routine checkup and said, oh, by the way, you have stage four pancreatic cancer, right? To kid problems, to whatever it is. But that's okay, because I'm with him. And the reason that that's okay and that I'm with him is because of Jesus. Because I'm his bride. You go, but wait a second. I thought we were talking about God. God's in Exodus 3. God is the one that self-defined himself as the I am who I am. So what are you talking about? Yeah, I really like it when you guys ask questions that I'm prepared to give the answer to, okay? I really, I appreciate that. So um, in John chapter 8, we're going to put it up here in a second. Jesus is having a conversation with the religious leaders of the day, and this is how they start off the conversation. So Jesus, um, are you demon-possessed? Now, first off, let me just say this. If anyone ever starts the conversation off with you by saying, hey, do you have a demon inside of you? Just walk away. Just walk. Like, it's gonna come to blows, right? Even if you look like me and you're like stick, right? Like, you call me demon-possessed, we're probably gonna go and have blows in the parking lot. Like, you start, but, uh, you know, Jesus is Jesus and that's why I'm not, I guess. So, this is what happens. John 8, it's gonna be up on the screen. So, Jesus has the conversation with them and he says this. um, They ask him, are you greater than our father Abraham who died? And the prophets died, but who do you make yourself out to be? And so Jesus answered, well, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say, he is our God. But you have not known him, but I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. That's one of my favorites. But I do know him, and I keep his word. And then he goes this. He says, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day, and he saw it and was glad. And so the Jews said to him, you're not even 50 years old, and you've seen Abraham, and then here's the kicker. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And so Jesus makes this startling claim that not only does he know Abraham, but Abraham knows him. And they go, how is that possible? You are like in your 30s. And Jesus says, the reason that's possible is because I am. And in case you're wondering exactly what Jesus is saying here, 
He's pointing back to Exodus 3 and to God's self-descriptive name for himself. Jesus has just called himself Yahweh. Jehovah. And the Pharisees know this because in verse 59, it says, so they picked up stones to throw at him. The Pharisees knew that he had just in their minds spoken blasphemy, not just any blasphemy, the worst. But see, what they didn't understand is this. Remember, Jesus, our God is transcendent, but he's also imminent. Well, Jesus is actually the greatest picture of God's imminence. So during Advent this year, Advent starts the Sunday after um, <clears throat> Thanksgiving. We're gonna be doing a series called Unwrapping the Names of Jesus. And uh, one of the names that Jesus is called by is Emmanuel, which literally means God with us. God so loved the world that he sent his only son Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus says, I have come and I'm imminent. I'm here among you, but do not forget the fact that I am transcendent and I am so far greater than you. And it's because of Christ's transcendence in this text that we can trust all the promises that Jesus makes while on earth, all of them. Well, let me just read a few. So we're in the, in, in the book of John right now, okay? That's what we just read out of. So let's just take the book of John. There's three promises. There's a lot more, but here's three. In John 14, 6, Jesus makes the statement, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. So that is saying that the only way to heaven, the only bridge that can connect our hopelessness to the eternality of who God is, is Jesus. That's it. Okay? In John 3, Jesus talks to literally the religious expert of the day, Nicodemus. And Jesus says to Nicodemus, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. In other words, unless someone literally has a spiritual transformation of being, because the Bible is very clear that all people are born spiritually dead. And that the only way to have spiritual life is through Jesus and through forgiveness and through the shedding of his blood and through being uh, 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 washed in the blood of the lamb. Scripture is very clear. And Jesus tells the religious leader, listen, you've got to be born again. In the next uh, chapter, he goes to the end of the spectrum, the opposite of the spectrum. He talks to a Samaritan woman that was a nobody. And he says, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And we could keep going on and on and on and on, but Jesus makes all of these statements and all these promises. And because of his transcendence, just like Moses could believe in all the promises that he said, to Mo, to, that God said to Moses, we can believe that the promises of Jesus are true. Which means this, and I need you to listen to me very carefully on this, Christian. If all of these things are true, and I think we've got to realize that I don't care what kind of decisions you've made or what kind of lifestyle you're living right now or what, what you're doing and all the questions that you're having. If you know I have been born again, I am a Christian, I am a believer, then I got to tell you something. You have not reached a point where you have out the grace of God in your life. On the opposite side, if you're not a believer, there is nothing that you can do that is going to out 
price that was paid on the cross for you. And then we know that's true because Jesus promises it. The transcendent God who is literally above us in every way came down to be among us and he offers us full forgiveness and grace and we can trust him because he be who he be. So now here's the thing we got is that when we place our faith and trust in Jesus, all of a sudden our identity changes. It's not, hey, I... I am what my stuff is, or I am what my job is, or, you know, I'm in control. That's, that's a faux identity that's going to leave you enslaved. Instead, our identity now becomes this. I'm with him. I, I'm with him. But Joey, life is crap. I know. I'm with him. But Joey, people bicker back and forth on all this COVID stuff and all the politics and all that stuff. And I mean, oh my gosh, is the world just falling apart? I know, I'm with him. But you don't understand my marriage right now. You don't understand what's going on and we bicker and we fight and it's not good. I get that. I'm with him. And he never is guaranteed that it's gonna be a smooth life but he has guaranteed that he will never leave me nor forsake me and he will walk with me every step of the way. Why? Because I have been granted full access to everything that God offers through his son. And I'm the bride of Christ. God is who he is. He is self-defining He will never change. The same God that in Genesis 1 said, let there be light is the same God that will look to his son someday and go, go get him. When Jesus comes back, he's the same God. And he responds the exact same way to sin and his grace is the same. It's all the same. It's all the same. God is not an angry God in the Old Testament and a loving father in the New. He is the same God. He is the same God. And we can trust him because he is so far greater than us that he loved us enough to come and be among us. So where does that put you? Probably for some of you, it puts you in the midst of an identity crisis right now. Something that you need to work through. I can't help you work through that. It needs to be something that you have a conversation with the Lord about. For some of you, it may lead to some trust issues because you hear some promises of God and you go, well, you just don't know about my past and you don't know how God's been. Listen, talk to him about it. He's big enough to handle it. He's got this. For others, it may lead to this fact of, you know what, I've never placed my faith in Jesus before. I don't even know if I can trust him. Listen, you can, and here's the main reason you can. Jesus ultimately proved his transcendence to how far greater he is because he walked out of the grave. He walked out of the grave. And I only know one person that walked out of the grave on his own power. And he's coming back for me. Do you know why? Because I'm with him. The question is, are you? And if you are, act like it. Act like it. Let's pray. Father, I come to you in the mighty name of Jesus. Father, this is going to be a fun series. I can tell because we're going to be learning a whole lot about who you are and your attributes. But God, what a heavy, 
heavy place to start. God, you are so far above us. We can't even wrap our minds around you. But yet you loved us enough to come live among us, to know our hurts, to feel our burdens, to provide a way for us to have full access to you through Jesus. And Father, I don't know what people are going through right now. I don't know if they're sitting on their couch right now and they are paralyzed by fear. I don't know if there are people that are sitting here this morning and they have such bitterness because maybe a turn in their life that they weren't expecting. I I just, I don't know all the hurts and pains, but you do. You know them intimately. And so, Father, I pray for two different types of people this morning, Father. I pray for the Christian this morning, for those that have been born again, for those who have drunk the waters that Jesus offers to never be thirsty again, who have trusted him to be the way, the truth, and the life. I pray for my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ this morning, and I pray for any identity crisis that they might be experiencing right now. I think that honestly, identity crisis is shackling us and it's crushing us. And I think many of us are trying to find our identity in something that we have zero hope of finding joy in. And we are spinning our wheels. And we're getting angrier. We're getting more anxious. And we're believing the lies that the world feeds us that it's our job that defines us, it's our parenting that defines us. There's nothing wrong with any of those things, God, in moderation. We're defined by the fact that we're with you, that I am a child of God. And it's in that that we can rest in. And so, Father, I pray for my fellow brother and sister this morning in Christ. I pray that you would help free them from the shackles of identity crisis. I pray that if they are treating you more like a homeboy and they, don't, they have forgotten about the holiness of you and that you are so far greater than them and they are not walking in the fear and admonition of you and they are, they are not trying to strive to live a holy life to bring you glory, I pray that you would shatter them of their false impression of who you are. But I also pray that if there's anyone in this room that they are just focusing on that God is so much greater than me, there's no way that he could love me that you would remind them that you love them enough to send your son to die for them and that you are here in their midst, all up in their pain, all up in in, in their life. And they would be reminded that you are a personable God and they would be reminded of that this morning. Father, the second person I pray for this morning is those that have no relationship with you at all. Maybe they're searching, maybe they're not. 
They, for whatever reason, they just haven't been able to pull the trigger and say, I trust in you to be the way, the truth, and the life. I pray that today would be the day that you revealed yourself in a way that they know that because of your transcendence, because of your grandeur, because of who you are, you can be trusted. And when you say, all who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved, that today would be the day when people would come to know you as Savior and Lord. That today would be the day when we confess that I am a sinner and I need saving and that Jesus is the way and that you become king of our hearts of their hearts and that their their mantra from here on out would be I am with him change lives for all eternity today because you're the only one that can so with your heads bowed and your eyes closed I'm just going to ask everyone to do one of two things number one if you're a Christian this morning I would ask you the question what kind of identity crisis are you struggling with right now And if there's one, maybe I didn't even mention it. Talk to him about it. Let him know. Give it over to him. Secondly, if you're in this room and you say, I'm not, I've never asked Jesus into my life. Then I would ask, what's stopping you? There is literally nothing more that God has to prove to you. He's fulfilled every promise that he's ever made. And his son is sitting next to the Father right now waiting to come back for the bride of Christ and the invitation is being offered to you what is holding you back give your life to Jesus because there is no other way besides him I want you guys to wrestle over that identity question or what's holding you back and when you're done wrestling with the Lord over that would you stand in your own timing and join Grand in the band as we sing this one song of praise to God to wrap things up. But not until you're done wrestling over the things that we talked about this morning. God, I, I unleash your spirit on this room, Father. And I pray and I ask that you would mold hearts, that you would shatter hearts, that you would crawl up into people's private space, Father, and just let them know that you're here for them. Father, work in this room. Grant, let's go ahead and let's see. Thanks again for listening to this message. For more information about South Lakes Church, go to slchurch.life.